Welcome to Humans of CX, a podcast powered by OzoneTel. We share the latest insights in customer experience from industry experts to help you humanize your approach, placing empathy at the center of the customer experience. I'm your host, Todd Vecca. All right, good afternoon, good morning, and good evening, depending on where you are in the world. This is Todd Becca with Humans of CX. We're bringing CXE back to business, and I'm honored today to be here with Neil Toth, president of CallZilla. Neil, thank you so much. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you're doing today. Todd, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here on the show with you. I always love to talk about CX, and there's so much going on in the CX community that there's tons of things to talk about. I think if we really wanted to, we could be here for hours and hours and hours, but I look forward to having a good conversation together. I am the co-founder and president of CallZilla, we're an outsourced contact center company. One of the most important things that we hopefully do is provide outstanding customer experience because we believe that we are customer-centric. We hope that we provide outstanding client experience because we're a client-centric and that we are also employee-centric. And I know we're going to talk about that a little bit later into the podcast, but without the employees, none of this will exist. So employee-centric, providing great experiences for our employees. I think if we do all those things right, then we're able to have a seat at the CX table. Very good. And you've recently, CallZilla has recently been honored as one of the great places to work. What does that mean to you personally as the founder of the company? And why do you think that matters for not only attracting talent, but just kind of that brand recognition? Yeah, thank you for mentioning that. I'm really proud of our group. I honestly didn't do much of the hard work that went into that. So a lot that goes into achieving recognition and certification as such. It's not just you get it because you want it. You have to prove with data and a lot of backup as to why you are worthy of being considered a great place to work, all in capital letters. There's focus groups and data that comes out of what the employees think and hard work went into compiling it and getting that feedback. Also, it's a great learning experience because we learn some other opinions of our team members of what they'd like to see different improvements to be made. And the real task as we come out of it in year one, is are we going to be able to make the adjustments, improvements, just to make the experience that much more valuable for our team members? And it's always going to be work to do so that the bar is set high by this. But yeah, it's a great achievement. And we'll also talk about what's going on in labor markets throughout the world, but especially in the CX and, and contact center community. It's not easy to retain employees. So when you're able to show that you're doing good work and that the place where our team members are employed is enjoyable, comfortable, productive, lucrative, and represents the things that they want, it's certainly something to be very proud of. Yeah, that's fantastic. And so we're a CX podcast, and, and those are the topics that we cover. But I think sometimes the thing that gets lost in these conversations is the EX, right? It's the employee experience. So we mentioned that at, at the top of the show, but what does the employee experience mean to you? And how does that kind of obviously translate to providing a good customer experience? Yeah, so so much focus of the last two years, even before the pandemic, but especially during the pandemic, the big buzzword was digital transformation, finding ways to create experiences that are faster, cheaper, and take less time for our customers. And there's certainly the digital transformation will continue to continue and continue in all of our businesses. Check, that's important. But I consider a different concept to be really critical right now. And it's an analog transformation. I said, and that's why I said analog. People look at me and say, what's he talking about analog? The analog transformation is to focus back on people. If we don't focus on people and making our people 
happy, satisfied, comfortable, productive. There's no business. We can all automate a lot of what we do, but if the people aren't there to design it, if the people aren't there to help out and be the the receptacle where the out goes to when the automation won't work, there's no business. Businesses won't work without people. And so we have to do what's necessary to retain our people, make them feel good, align them with what our mission or visions are, and keep them happy. We've learned that it's so difficult to retain employees. The employees, look, we're talking about it generally, are not going to be career lifelong employees necessarily at our organizations. But while we have them, we got to take advantage of their heart, their spirit, their time, and their brains and make sure that they are at their best. So there's a whole lot of energy, effort, and issues, budget that goes into doing that. So yeah, analog transformation is the way I look at it. I'm not sure if I created that term or not, but that's certainly the focus that we have right now. No, I like it. I like it. That's great. So, and kind of transitioning into that. So data is obviously an important part of your business, right? You need data to be able to look at certain points. But in terms of that analog experience, that analog transformation, I might be leading you a little bit here, but what else makes up that CX strategy that isn't just data or technology or the AI and the robots? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it goes back to the people, right? The people that are powering this, why are they there? What is it that they want? Why are they in in that seat doing that work? How do we motivate them? How do we get them to buy into the vision? And by the way, the vision, I think there's always a quantifiable, a qualitative, I'm sorry, qualitative uh, vision, uh, a version of what that means, but there's also a quantitative in the data and how do you support performance and the things that you want. So one thing is to say, we're going to provide great employee, great client, and great customer experiences. But what does that mean? And how does that manifest itself in the day-to-day operation? It means that we want agent tenure to be at a certain threshold. We want agent attrition to be at a very low threshold. We want agent and employee satisfaction to be at a certain threshold. We want, if we don't particularly do a net promoter score, we do a version of, of a net promoter score for our employees. You want it to be at a certain threshold. So you're measuring, you're looking at data. The same thing in the way you interact with customers. So a million things that you want to look at. I'm in the context of our business. So you know there's context and metrics, average handle times, service levels, abandoned rates, take rates. There's channel pivots in it as they're offering different channels. A consumer may start in phone, but may end up in social media and vice versa. There's, there's lots of ways to slice and dice those. You've got to be looking at data to see what's happening, what their experience is like, and then measure, did you did we resolve what they were looking for? How much effort was involved with this? How would they rate the interaction? There's lots of ways to look at the data, but the important thing is that I think that you actually measure it or asking questions and have that level of curiosity at the beginning. And that's the only way to create continuous improvement. We all want to improve and be better and better, but if you don't have a benchmark, you don't have a, a point to jump off from, there's nothing you can do. You got to have the data to be able to measure yourself. That's a great point. I think sometimes we focus on our the KPIs that are important to us as a business and how we're measuring ourselves. But then I think what gets lost is we forget to ask the customer, well, what's your number one KPI, right? Is it just, I didn't want to be on hold for three minutes. That's the most important thing to me. I constantly asking our customers, how can we make their experience better? So that's a great answer. Now, to that point, sometimes people who are maybe not in this business think of CX as, just the person they're talking to on the phone when they're upset that their order is wrong or whatever the case may be. Tell me a little bit about teamwork and who's behind the scenes aside from that voice on the phone or the chat bot or the email that kind of makes this whole engine kind of work. Yeah, this is a great question. What's behind the curtain, right? What's under the kimono as some other people describe it. Like there's so much that goes into this. 
I heard a great quote this week. I was at a, an event. I'm a part of an organization called SOCAP, and we had our one of our annual events, our fall event, just this week in Indianapolis. And there's a speaker from JD Power and a million and one stats and kind of state of the union type thing and, and CX that were wonderful. But the thing that most resonated with me and that kind of surprised me the most was he came out and he said, think about your supervisor. Do you know your supervisor? We're talking about the contact center, right? What is a supervisor's most important role? And many of us would say, keeping the troops in line and making sure that you're hitting the KPIs and keeping motivation up. And all those things are absolutely true. But, but the speaker said, the most important role of the supervisor is life coach. The supervisor has to be the one that knows the pulse of what's happening with his or her agents, the frontline team. How are they feeling? Are they motivated? Are they trained enough? Are they aligned with the, the overall vision? Because we all know if the group is trying to go this way, but you have one employee, one frontline team member that's going the other way, the boat will never advance. Everyone's got to be rowing in the same direction. And that's why you've got to have everyone in sync, everyone buying in, everyone trained and prepared at the same level. There's so much that goes into it. Now there's the supervisor and above. In our organization, there's an operations manager that is the operations director. And it goes a whole hierarchy and, and chain of command. Everyone's got to be going in the same direction. But to get there, that's there's a lot of science to it, but there's certainly a lot of art as well. Yeah, I, so I've actually heard the same thing. And I will tell you from personal experience that once we kind of migrated to a work from home culture, it's become even more important because now I can't just walk over and kind of see how are you doing today, Sue or John or, or whatever. Now it's trying to kind of gauge that from maybe a quick chat or an IM or getting a Zoom call and it, it's become even more important. So, But it's hard, right? Because exactly, yeah. in the old days, you would get up, you'd go pat the employee who's down, you know, a little down on themselves, you go pat them on the back and a little a fist bump or something like that or you walk with them over to the water cooler or take a break with them, take a walk outside smoke a cigarette, whatever it is that people did when we're all back in the building together. But a instant message, while it's nice and it shows support, I don't think it's as powerful as the pat on the back, the fist bump, the let's go smoke a cigarette together. It's more limited. So what do you do? And I don't think anyone's really fully entirely figured it out yet, right? Everyone talks about wellness programs and employee wellness, and those things are great. But you got your hands tied a bit behind your back when we're in a remote environment. We're in a remote environment as well. It's a struggle. It is. Yeah, I found it harder with, and maybe just um, dating myself a little bit, but with the millennial generation, so I'll say, hey, how are you doing today? And then I'll get back good. And then I don't really have a great follow-up for that. So I just kind of take it at face value. You know, it's the same way communicating with my kids. And so how are you doing? Good. Okay. Exactly. What does good really mean? Those of us who are, I don't know if I can say this, on, we're, we're old in this world. And go. by the way, I think both of us experienced our workforce is getting younger and younger. How do you communicate? What are they? So here's the other thing that's kind of keeping me up at night is... Everyone, we used to talk about in our generation, we talk about the golden rule, treat others as you would want to be treated. No, now it's the platinum rule, treat others as they want to be treated. Well, if you don't ask the question, if we don't ask the question, how do you want to be treated? They're going to come back with just good, fine, but we don't really know what good and fine means. What does that mean for them? And I think we have the onus is on us, is on our shoulders to ask, what does that mean for you? Why are you here? What would you like out of this employment with us? How do we align our vision and culture as an employer with your vision and culture of what you'd like to achieve as an employee. Not an easy task. Yeah, yeah, completely agree. So we're talking a lot about people, which I think is the heart of this. But let's just kind of switch gears and talk about the robots and the tools a little bit. What types of tools, especially in the BPO environment, you don't have to say specific, I'm not talking about name brands, but what kind of tools are you using either to measure this data to make sure that you're as efficient as possible to get that status of great places to work, because there certainly is an engine behind the people as well. 
Yeah, without a doubt, the number one tool, the tool I think has the most impact in what we do it in our operation is the use of speech analytics or conversational AI. People call it different stuff. Some people also refer to it as quality management tools. So the old days, what we're not doing anymore, what we used to do, you know, you have QA monitors listening to calls or scoring chats or emails back in the room over there. We'd ask, don't talk to anybody. Don't talk to the agents. We don't want anyone to intermix and, and be able to be conflicts of interest and be scoring your friend higher. By the way, those people over there, they're only listening to the 3% of calls or creating 3% of interactions. 3%, it's only going to get you so far. You're only going to really know how much of that's random. Yeah. In contrast, the AI, the speech analytics technology allows us to evaluate 100% of the calls or texts or chats or emails. It gives a much better ability to get a window into what's going on and generates insights in a far quicker period of time. So we are more intelligent about what the heck is going on right under our nose now. By the way, in the old days, you would, so I always would give this example. On Friday, a call comes in. We score it maybe on Saturday, maybe on Monday, maybe on Tuesday if it's a long weekend. Give the feedback to the agent Wednesday or maybe Thursday. What if there was a problem? By Thursday, we're, we become aware of a problem that happened on Friday, the previous Friday. It's almost a week that went by. Can you imagine the damage that, that could have at least been prevented had we known? In contrast with the speech analytics technology, you can know in real time or almost real time what the heck is happening right under our nose. And so we're smarter. We can react a lot quicker. Reaction, we're still reacting, but we're able to do so in a way that's much more informed and, and certainly faster and much, much, much cheaper to do so. Our clients love the insights that we're able to provide out of that. The technology is just getting better and better and more accurate. And so I think we look forward to you know just incorporating all those changes and improvements, enhancements, and making the customer experience that much better, and therefore our client experience that much better as well. Yeah, I love that you said the old days. So I started in the 90s in, in basically a boiler room environment on the phones. There was no customer experience term back then, but customer service was basically if somebody yelled at you on the phone, yell for the manager and he'll come over and get on and kind of make everything okay. But then when I got promoted to manager, I was plugging in an analog tape recorder to the phone, recording a sample of calls, maybe less than 3%, and listening to them on the train. And if I heard something, it was terrible. Good. Yeah. It's funny. I mean, we laugh about it now, but that's what it was like. Can you, I can still picture when we first started 17 years ago, the agent waving frantically to have the supervisor come over for help or for a look like, oh, F, what do I do? Or I've got an angry customer. You know, we're trying to mouth it. You can barely put the thing on, put the conversation on mute. And the supervisor trying to have a conversation with the agent, the agent supervisor, but all of a sudden, you know, you've got the customer to worry about. They're on hold. Yeah, it's the tools are there to eliminate that type of interaction and engagement and to make things much, much, much smoother. The theory is, of course, the trickle down that's not so trickled more directly enhances the experience for everyone in the, in the picture. Yeah, absolutely. So when you ask just a general consumer out there, their experience, human psychology is they're going to think of the time they were on hold with Bank of America for 15 minutes, as an example, or calling their doctor or whatever, right? They're going to think of the bad things, but how do you think perception has changed? And especially this kind of a two-parter. So especially in light of the customer journey and you taking it a step further to that customer profile. So how do we change that perception? What are you doing to change that perception? Yeah, it's a great question. I think there's a bunch of kind of sub-questions in there and sub-topics. So all of us are customers of something or some things, brands, right? None of us like to remain on hold. None of us like to be treated like garbage. We all want to get our problems resolved. However, 
it's not easy to do that. I've, always, I've said this for years and years and years. There is no such thing as a call center easy button or contact center easy button. You can't press a button and the problem be fixed. You can accelerate and narrow the gap. Automation certainly can help that when a plugged in and program configured correctly, but there's going to be problems that we're not able to address through automation. By the way, Mr. and Mrs. Consumer, we also have a labor shortage. And so while we all want to treat our customers well and we don't want to keep them on hold for a long time, we all want 80, 20 service levels. To get that is expensive and becoming more expensive because of wage inflation. But even if we're going to pay $20 an hour to our contact center workers in the US, just because you're paying it doesn't mean you're going to get them. You can't, it's very hard to retain those people. And so while we, like, I guess kind of where I'm leading back to is even if we all want to solve these problems and reduce wait times and, and increase resolution, we need to have the staff and the automated tools to be able to do so. And those are not perfect. Staffing is not a perfect science or art right now. Neither is automation, but we're getting there. We're, little by little, we're improving it. We're becoming smarter and understand how to create the automation, how to get to resolution in a greater percentage of cases. We're never going to get 100% resolution in automation, not for a long time at least but we're getting better at it. And that's why the tools are important. Consumers are also going to need to understand that. They're going to need to be able to interact with the automated tools. Automated tools, that's going to represent a change and challenge for certain consumers. Maybe certain consumers of a certain age group or certain demographic or certain persona, but they're going to have to interact with the conversational IVR or voice bot. If not, they're going to wait on hold for 15 minutes like you gave the example of Bank of America. Nobody wants to do that. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up some of the labor issues in the U.S., for lack of a better word, hand in hand with that is the term silent quitting or, or quiet quitting. How much of that is real? How much of that is a buzzword? And are you like, do you ever kind of experience that firsthand? Oh, absolutely. By the way, quiet quitting is a common thing across all demographics. But certainly I believe in Gen Z, the people that were, many of us are hiring in our contact centers. They're there. They're thinking about where they would rather be, they'd rather be at the beach, they'd rather be traveling, they'd rather be vaping, they'd rather be doing who knows what. And they're just there, they're just checking a box, they're just punching in on the time clock. It's a real thing. And how do you break that or how do you reduce it? That is a massive challenge for all of us. I don't have the answers yet. I'm trying to figure them out, but it is a massive challenge for all of us. By the way, generationally speaking, I think if I were to generalize our generation, we weren't allowed to be quite quitting. We were told by our parents, Go in there and give your best. This is your career you're talking about. You want to stay there for 10 years or for a lifetime and go up and get promoted and get promoted and get promoted. Those were our values. Different set of values now. Yeah. I think my parents and a lot of people in that generation, they have one or two jobs their entire life. And yep, there were still pensions in those days. And it was just, it was a different time. So uh, I understand. To change gears for a minute, you are an ICMI finalist, which congratulations, by the way. I will be at that event next month as well. Why should people in general outsource? Kind of a loaded question, but if you didn't know anything about it, you're not watching these podcasts or or involved in what this is all about, why should people outsource? Yeah, it's a great question. We deal with this question all the time, partly trying to convince our some clients that have never outsourced for the first time, but you do it because... You have to, or because what you'll get out of outsourcing in theory and on paper will be better than what you could do it if you did it on your own. Many of us can't prepare our own taxes. I'm certainly one of them. I outsource it. There's no way I don't have the knowledge. 
I don't have the time and I have the skill set to be able to prepare my own taxes. So I hire an accountant to be able to do that. Thankfully, I found the right one who does a wonderful job. Same thing with attorneys. When people have legal issues, they're not going to stand up and be their own attorney because they don't know. So you outsource. In the contact center world, kind of the same thing. Either you don't know the material, contact centers getting more and more sophisticated you know, every year. You don't know, you don't have the staff for it. You don't have the know-how. It may not be in your core business. It may not be in your, in your true wheelhouse to be able to staff and manage. It may be too expensive. You may not have the technology. You may not want to have the technology. By the way, technology is cheaper and cheaper, more available these days. So it's the technology is a bit easier, but you may just not want the headaches. And that's why you outsource it. You may, you have to, part of it, um, solving a problem is admitting that you can't solve it yourself and you need help, right? Sorry, medicine is another great example. When I have a certain level of things with my body and my health, I don't know how to solve them anymore. The, the Tylenol ain't working. You go to a doctor and kind of that's, the theory is the same. You go to a professional that can help you alleviate your problems and deal with them and remove your headaches. That's why you outsource. Yeah, that's a great answer. I don't think I've ever heard it uh, as concise as that. And those are great examples. If you had a crystal ball, what does this all look like? And when I say this, I mean customer experience, obviously, or employee experience. What does this look like in five years, 10 years? Is it just because the technology, like you said, is cheap, it's getting better, or AI, whatever. But what does the whole thing look like on, on both sides? Great question. And I don't have the answers, but what I think personally, this is just my opinion. I do think that as there is a recession in the world, I think that the labor markets will ultimately correct themselves and that people will have to come back to work. That's not just me saying, I hope for that. I do hope for it. But I also believe that people will need to come back to work and they will quote unquote grow up a little bit and realize that, you know, sometimes you're going to have to work in an environment where you're not going to be king of the day and have pool tables and pizza parties and and things like that. You're not going to, we're all not going to be able to hand these incredible perks over to our employees. And I don't always believe it will be an employee market. I believe that the employer will begin to start to regain some level of control and autonomy back in the equation. Will it take five years? Will it take 10? I, it will take a while. It will. But I ultimately believe that will happen. But regardless, as employers, we need to learn and adapt and adjust and evolve the way we treat our employees is critical. The career path, understanding what they want, the platinum rule, those things don't will never go away. Automation will absolutely continue to have a larger presence in the overall mix of contact center solutions. Technology is going to become better, cheaper, and faster and more available. It's just getting easier and easier to get it. I do think the cloud is here to stay. By the way, the cloud, interesting to talk about, we haven't talked about the cloud, but I think the cloud, we all, we're all moving to the cloud. The cloud ain't cheap either, by the way. Just I think important for companies to know that just because you're moving to the cloud doesn't mean that your cost structure goes away. It may actually increase a little bit, believe it or not, but it removes a lot of other headaches that you don't necessarily want to deal with. But yeah, automation, more and more technology. I think that the labor markets will shift a bit, but we need to take away the learnings that we have right now uh, into that future, those five, 10 years from now, and understand that we cannot treat labor the way we have traditionally treated. Okay. Let's go back in time the other way now. This is just, we're kind of getting to the point of just having some fun questions. What would you tell your younger self? And by younger, you know, you're just starting out in this business. What would you, it, the one pearl of wisdom that um, you wish you knew when you were starting? God, it's a great question. I was never great at math in school and I wish I could have figured out how to be better at math. Had I figured out I could be better. 
what it took to be better at math and study, I think maybe I could have done a little bit more in my career, but I've taken a very off the beaten path approach to my career. Nobody grows up and says, I want to own and operate a contact center. Nobody. Or if they exist, I haven't met them yet. I love what I do. It's dynamic. It's a unique thing. You know, you go into a cocktail party or to a dinner party or, you know, wherever you hang out. I'm usually the only contact center person there, customer experience person there. You've got the lawyers, the bankers, you've got the people that want to work for Amazon. Nobody says they want to work in a contact center. But I like that. I don't have any regrets. I love what I do. I love understanding how customer behavior works and what consumers think and the psychology behind it and integrating technology into that. So I wouldn't change a thing. I would just say, oh, I would say this. I've had very success, a lot of success finding mentors in my career along the way. And my recommendation to a younger me would be absolutely just continue to find mentors or enter younger employees. Find mentors, find someone that cares about you, find someone that's willing to invest in your career and invest the time and trying to help you out and be a sounding board. Get a good mentor. That's great. And so you, you kind of answered what my next question was going to be, which is fantastic. But um, who, um, I'll make it more fun. Who in this CX space, maybe at a peer level, not necessarily a mentor level now, but at a peer level is like the most fun at parties. Who would you want to go drink with in the CX space at a party be just because of the personality or the vigor, or you might learn something, or you just might have a story. There's a ton of people that are incredibly fun. I'll give you three top of mind, just because I've spent some four top of mind. Sorry. And I, and sorry. The more I talk, I'm going to next thing I know, I'm going to say, I got 50 off the top of my head, but here's some recent ones that I've spent some time with. Stacy Sherman is one. Nate Brown, the life of the party, but you want to drink beer with him. Nate doesn't drink. We talked to Nate a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> Nate Brown is the life of the party. Great person to hang out with, infectious energy. Dennis Wakabayashi. Dennis Wakabayashi is the life of the party and just a great, smart, kind, really smart guy. Dan Gingis is also a sensational person. And I can just go on and on and on. Those are the ones that are, I think, most top of mind right now. Oh, sorry. One other person, Annette Franz. I didn't talk about Annette Franz. Annette Franz not only is a wonderful human being, fun, smart, but her book, I have it over here. Let's see. It's right next to me. Built to Win. I don't know if you can see it here. I'm going to show it. Built to Win. I'm putting in a shameless plug for Nets book, Built to Win. That has been a lot of the motivation for what I'm doing in CallZilla to understand how we create culture around customer centricity, employee centricity, and client centricity. And that would be great. She's, she's got to be part of that group as well. So we talked to Annette as well, and that those are great names. Maybe we'll get a party bus and we can make this happen at some point. Exactly. Don't forget Stacey Sherman and don't forget Dennis. Dennis Warren, oh gosh, these people are top notch. And again, the list, there's, there's some incredible people out there. Don't forget Justin Robbins. I said Dan Gingis. Again, the list will go. There's so many wonderful people in this community that, that are out there. It's a great community to be a part of. The size of the community has exploded. And the number of thought leaders out there that are, you and I put, I'm sure there's a ton of people that we know together. But there's a global community out there as well. And you start to read and peel back the onion. You see there's people in countries you might not have thought being leaders in CX, they're out there without a doubt. Yeah. yeah and I love just from meeting all of you, seeing that kind of the, the way you answer similarly, but then also seeing that maybe differences in perspective that I could learn from. So it's really, it's been great being part of this community. We're about to come to a close on time. So usually what we do just as a last kind of question is open it up to you for what are you doing? You gave Annette a nice shameless plug. We want to give you a shameless plug. What would you like to say about CallZilla? What you're doing, what you're working on? How can viewers kind of look to you and maybe work with you? I appreciate that. Thank you for that opportunity. Yeah, so we have always been synonymous with working 
from near shore outside the U.S. into going in delivering into the U.S. We have just opened up a service delivery option from South Africa. This is a massive change for us because it's a new giant geography, a new culture to operate from, and we are incredibly thrilled and blessed and optimistic with what we've seen from our team there, the way they handle calls, the customer experience and interact quality of interactions that they're offering uh, U.S. customers. Our first beta program down there has gone incredibly well, far beyond my wildest of imagination. So I just look forward to building that more and doing incredible things out of South Africa. Our Columbia team continues. They're, they're doing great. But South Africa, I believe, is a very important point globally that many of us are looking at, and certainly in Callzilla, that it represents the near-term future of what we're, we're really focused on right now. Neil, thank you so much. It's really been great spending this 30 minutes with you. For our listeners and subscribers, we'll have all of Neil's contact information in the podcast. And thank you so much for joining Humans of CX today. I've been here with Neil Toth, president and co-founder of Callzilla, and we hope everybody has a great day. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Humans of CX, a podcast brought to you by Ozone Tell. If you enjoyed today's show, visit ozontel.com to learn more about how our robust omni-channel communications platform makes it the industry leader within the customer experience space. You can find Humans of CX on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, as well as other platforms that are featuring podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe and share. Thank you so much for listening.